Good morning and welcome to Copper Country Today, Houghton Community Broadcasting's weekly look at the issues and people that are important to the Keweenaw. I'm Todd Van Dyke. This morning, a winter carnival preview with Scotts of England from Michigan Tech's Blue Key Society. And how has the pandemic affected efforts to help our at-risk kids? Hannah Buckovich from Houghton Keweenaw Communities That Care checks in. Stand by for Copper Country Today. It's brought to you by the Portage Health Foundation at phfgive.org. When our community is in need, the Portage Health Foundation is here to answer the call. In 2018, we were here on the front lines helping homeowners get their lives back. And now with the COVID-19 pandemic, we're right here with the many nonprofits who help serve our community. We've provided funding to Senior Meals, Keweenaw Family Resource Center, and 31 Backpacks. We launched a Wi-Fi hotspot network to help families stay connected, and we have much more planned. If you want to donate to help our community's recovery, visit phfgive.org slash COVID-19 or call 523-5920. Good Sunday morning once again. Welcome to Copper Country Today. I'm Todd Van Dyke. Our program is brought to you by the Portage Health Foundation. You can support them and learn more about them at phfgive.org. We are about to embark on what will be remembered as an historic winter carnival. Not for, unfortunately, the reasons that we would like to have winter carnival be historic. COVID-19 has caused many changes in the plans this year at Michigan Tech. But winter carnival is on and there's going to be a lot to do and a lot to enjoy. And so I welcome into the program from the Blue Key Society, Scott Zavieland. Good morning, Scott. Good morning, Todd. Thank you so much for having me. Must have been a challenge putting this all together with, first of all, the COVID restrictions, but secondly, not knowing what COVID restrictions would or would not be in place as we head into this week. Yeah, you know, um, so when my whole board kind of took over um, at the end of last uh, school year, you know, of course, we didn't really know what was going to happen, but we all figured at that moment that no matter what happened, we knew we would have to take a proactive approach with Winter Carnival, you know? And I think when we did plan, we really kind of planned um, for the highest level of health and security that the community might face, just because, you know, you don't want to not plan for something and then something might happen. But um, I've been really proud of all of the amazing work. You know, this whole organization is completely run by undergraduate and graduate students completely volunteering their time every year for Winter Carnival. And just the amount of work they've been able to do to keep the health and safety of our community first, but also to be able to keep on this tradition, which is now, this is the 99th year of Winter Carnival. So, of course, next year is our 100-year anniversary. Just everything they've been able to do has just been really great. Well, and it must have been an extra challenge because I know that year in and year out, there are things that happen pretty much the same way each year. And you inherit some institutional knowledge. You have people who observed it last year. This year, they're going to run it. A lot of that's out the window this year. Yeah, you know, and I think that's a really great point. Um, when we did start this, we didn't realize how much was just completely automated. You know, people just kind of knew about their part every single year, Um so with that, we really had to work closely with the university. We worked with the health department, um, the Michigan Tech COVID Task Force, which is MTU Flex. And so with that, you know, we took a look at everything. We saw maybe, were there some events that just unfortunately just could not happen this year? But then we looked at what some events that could be put online. What are some new events that we could introduce that are online? But then what are some events that we could still have but still keep COVID protocol with wearing masks? staying socially distant, non-contact, all that kind of stuff. I think we found a pretty healthy mix of it all to give people, especially the students, um, just this really well-rounded winter carnival this year, considering everything. Yeah, I've looked at the schedule, and I, I've, I thought you were very creative in trying to put things together to keep Winter Carnival as an excellent event this year. I have, of course, not noticed any broom ball as I've been driving by campus. A lot of those things, I'm sure, have had to had to go by the way for this year. Yeah, and actually the thing with Broomball, um, so to my knowledge, is still happening. They just had to push it back a few uh, weeks um, to accommodate the uh, orders that were happening and whatnot. But um, fingers crossed, we should be able to start actually rolling out with uh, Broomball soon. And then, of course, people can always view broom, Broomball um, virtually, whether that be friends and family of our students that are you know, all over the country and the world, you know. So hopefully, you know, stuff like that might be able to trickle back toward the end of this. Well, I'm glad to hear there'll be some broomball. This online presence 
for Broomball. This is not a new thing. This has been going on for a while. And it really, that and some other online expansion over the last few years, has really made this an event that stretches far beyond the Michigan Tech campus. Definitely. And the really wonderful thing is we get to hear con- like just this wonderful feedback from alumni, friends and family, just pe- people you know, all over the world, um, we had to hear more wonderful news from our community, you know, and with that, you know, I think even like what, hopefully once, um, the current situation we're in does end, you know, we don't lose this because I think to be able to connect so many people around the world with this wonderful event, I think it is a real gift that we are allowed to give. And I, can I say that I love your theme this year? Our favorite <laughs> cartoons for snowy afternoons because I grew up I grew up in the sixties, which was cartoon heaven. The great yeah. cartoons were all on television in those days, and I was glued to my TV set on Saturday afternoons from the sixties the, into the early seventies, even to some extent, watching some of those. So uh, this has been uh, for me a, a little bit of a flashback. Definitely. I, I know I was just excited. We were, um, that's how this kind of works when we pick themes for every year. Um, so first the theme is, uh, we collect all this different, all the different ideas from our group. And we think of different catchphrases. Um, and so we're collecting all these themes and stuff and someone's like, why not cartoons? And it was kind of that one thing where like, not everybody thinks about, but then when someone says they're like, Oh, of course, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, And then, of course, every year with our logo, it's actually a student competition. So our entire campus is allowed to, like, make their own designs, and they send it in. And then, of course, um, our wonderful university marketing communications department, they kind of clean it up and make it like an actual digital format for us. Yeah, and I love the logo, too, this year, the the, the old-style TV set with the Husky watching it. It took me back to to many years before you were born, I would think. <laughs> and and my I suppose my idea of vintage cartoons is much, much different than the vintage cartoon idea that would be around on campus at this point. You know, but at the same point, I, I think you'd be surprised at how many characters I think any generation could probably see that would be popping up around campus. I think um, that's kind of the wonderful thing about cartoons is they don't ever really go away and they get to find a new audience with every generation that comes through. So I, I'm really excited to be able to, you know, have people see these. But then also, you know, we're going to make sure that uh, we take tons of pictures and that they're completely available online. So if people cannot make it up or, you know, all that stuff, they can still see like all these wonderful statues that are being made. This, of course, has always been a tourist draw. Lots of people come to town for this to look at the wonderful statues. Have you heard anything about how that's going? Are we still expecting a crowd or is that something that's kind of out of your control? Yeah. So when we embarked on this whole journey, our our top priority, we decided we're going to be, um, students, you know, and safety. So, you know, with, with that being said, you know, you know, we, we encourage people, of course, to maybe view our events online this year, you know, to kind of maybe take a, a slight break, but then of course, you know, um, you know, it's kind of, uh, I don't want to say out of our control, but, um, you know what I mean? It's just, uh, you know, people do have free will in this whole, um, aspect, but yeah, if, we really do encourage people that if they do decide to come to campus, you know, please, we have symptom monitoring. Please wear your mask. Please socially distance as much as possible um, because it, it, it is really important to keep our community and our students as safe as possible during this time. And it is a situation, uh, looking at the statues, where you can socially distance. It is outdoors. It is a situation where there aren't necessarily huge crowds at any given time. So... It is an opportunity mm-hmm. for people to get out and enjoy a little bit, and uh, we should emphasize that the statue competition is underway, and there are a lot of people involved. I'm seeing walls go up. Are there restrictions this year on how these statues can be built, how many people can be involved? Definitely, yeah. So um, we asked all of our students um, to please mask up. The wonderful, uh, the really great thing about a lot of these statue groups that do build them is they are all actually um, housemates. So you think about the different Greek organizations, you know, um, many people like in the pet band do actually live with one another. So there is that extra layer of security that comes with that. But we are asking everybody to socially distance, um, depending on the level that we are currently at, the amount of people who can work on a statue at one time um, changes. 
So right now we are asking no more than 25 people um, during a current level. Um, and please stay socially distant and all that. And I just want to give a huge shout out to our student organizations because they have been doing a phenomenal job adhering to all these guidelines. They've been super happy that they've been able to do a winter carnival this year. Um, and they've really been stepping up to the plate with keeping safe during this time. Do you suspect that maybe some of the statues will have to be scaled back a little bit this year because of those limitations? Surprisingly not. Um, and I think that just shows the ingenuity of our students here. Um, you know, so of course, we, I can't give any spoilers to what these statues will look like, um, but that has not deterred them whatsoever. And I really do think that they should turn out very beautiful this year. Talking with Scott Zavieland from the Blue Key Society at Michigan Tech, anticipating Winter Carnival, which opens up in just a few days, runs through the week. The statues are being built on campus. Uh, will the restrictions affect the all-nighter at all? Yeah, so we have done a lot to make sure that um, the all-nighters can still happen, um, but it will look very different. So unfortunately, this year we cannot have any bending, um, just due to the overall um, just surrounding um, events that are currently happening, but we will have the, the statues being built um, instead of that huge, I don't know if you've been on campus, but like the huge like DJ statue. Remember that from past years? Sure. Yeah. So we've decided actually to split that up into many smaller different statues around campus. And so we can still have ambient music, um, but it won't be that huge site where people conglomerate and, you know, and getting close quarters and just a ton of other things to kind of ensure the breaking up of crowds. So when people do come to campus, we do ask, just be aware of your surroundings. You know, if you feel like you're kind of getting to clump up with people that aren't in, you know, your like home group or whatever, we, we do ask that you space yourself apart, you know, and just be safe. I mean, with every all-nighter, it's cold, you know, it's going to be a long night. So please dress accordingly. You know, we don't want people, of course, to get too cold out there. Um, but all in all, it sh we should be able to have a very successful all-nighter. We're very excited. And wear those frost-proof masks. Exactly, and that's what they're perfect for. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Um, you also added an online competition for alums this year. Yeah, so that is our alumni house, and they that whole competition is really great. We're very excited about it. So our alumni house at Michigan Tech, they decided to start this kind of new, I think it could be a great new tradition. Um, and with that, so alumni from all over the world uh, can make their own snow statues with their families back at their hometowns. Um, and so what they can do is there's three different, there's many different um, categories. So people can, of course, make a normal like snow statue of snow. But then if you're in a, maybe a warmer climate, make a sand statue, make a statue out of cardboard. Um, and then, of course, we have this online component where people can use maybe different CAD programs or whatever to build statues. So there's all these different categories, and I think that will be extremely interesting to see. I'm very excited to see what all of our alumni kind of have in the realm of maybe these new statue ideas. I think if there is a silver lining to what we've been going through for almost a year now, it is that a lot of things are being rethought at this point, and new ideas such as this are coming out, necessity being the mother of invention. Uh, you have come up with a bunch of other different things, including a competition uh, for uh, online gaming this year. Yeah, so um, if you don't know out there um, in the realm, we do have an esports group now at Michigan Tech. And so we, we're very excited to kind of work with them to kind of get some stuff up for students and kind of see how that goes. Um, other things that we have, you know, we have an art competition online. Uh, we're going to do like a trivia thing, you know, online. So there's a ton of different things that we are offering the students. And I think a really important thing to note is for future years, we're not planning on taking things away. But if any of these events we find are very successful, we're very open to adding them in addition to the past events that we've had in the future years. Yeah, the esports one was the one that really caught my eye. I'm thinking, oh, that could be that could be a permanent addition to this. Uh, the rapid growth that that's experiencing, and uh, and and varsity teams now being offered in clubs uh, such as they have at Michigan Tech. So that was the thing I looked at. And I thought, okay, that could be a real permanent addition to this. Let's talk about some of the things that will not be happening. Uh, Scott's feeling. Obviously, the snowball not going to happen. 
Yeah, you know, it's it's it, it, so the normal snowball if people out there don't know, it, think of it as like a dance, you yeah. know. Um it it's just two close quarters inside. You know, we we really can't um that's just something we just couldn't really swing this year. You know, some other things that are normal that we usually have. So think like the sleigh rides that were happening especially during all nighter. Um the normal so we ha- we are having human dog sled um as a student event. But the normal dog sled rides that would happen, we just can't swing with that many people coming close quarters with people um, and different stuff like that, you know. And and, and um, basically, if you think if there was anything that could be inside that really attracted a huge crowd, um, so things like our royalty competition and our stage review competition were moved online, that's kind of the path on how all of this went this year. So those things that are happening online i know there are many people who would go to the rose and enjoy those things how do they find the online versions of those definitely so um as far as the ambassador competition it is just a student voting thing this year so but you if you follow us on all of our social media which is um winter carnival at michigan tech or mt winter carnival um we will be posting the selections for all of that as far as uh, stage review goes, um, and th- different things like the rap battles and whatnot, um, those will actually be, uh, we will be uploading those to YouTube. Um, and so if people also follow us back on those social media, like I said, um, we'll be posting links and showing people kind of where to go for all that kind of stuff. So if they want to see, like, they have friends or family kind of participating in these uh, different things, I think it would be a really great idea to kind of log on and support, you know, your friends and family on there. And Scott, let's talk about the term ambassador, because this yeah. used to be the Queen's competition. Last year, of course, our Queen was a male, at least for a brief time. There was a little kerfuffle there, as I recall. But now the whole term has been changed. Why? Yeah, so um, to be clear about the ambassador competition, this was just a solution to this year. So in the future, we will be bringing back royalty you know, in the um, way that we've seen it, where it is the whole kind of competition online to highlight the talent, you know, the intellect and the overall character of our Michigan Tech students with this royalty competition. But for this year, we really thought, wouldn't it be a great idea if we could highlight those students maybe that, you know, aren't always the most comfortable with going on stage, but just really give their time and effort to supporting our local and Michigan Tech community. And I think this ambassadorship was kind of the answer that we came with, you know, just as like a really good source of goodwill, you know, among our community. So that's what we've decided. Our contestants that we do have are all amazing people. I'm really excited to highlight uh, through Michigan Tech. Um, and so moving on in the future, we will be going back to royalty. But we are looking, taking a very hard look at having this kind of ambassadorship alongside royalty. You know what I mean? Just to kind of cover all the bases with the population that we have here at Michigan Tech. Well, yeah, it's always seemed a little lopsided. And, of course, last year we had the adventure where a young man was named, quote-unquote, queen of homecoming, and unfortunately there was an incident and that didn't last. Have you ever thought about uh, going to a king and a queen? We definitely thought of that. Um, you know, and I, I think it's, 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 you know, it's constantly something that is – it's good to have discussions about, you know, and kind of just seeing, you know, what can we do? We thought royalty would just be kind of the best suited pick. Um, so of course that's how our homecoming at Michigan tech now runs. It's homecoming royalty, you know, and we felt like it would just be a good idea to kind of match, you know, what the university is doing, you know, and I think with what we have planned for the future years, of course we can't do it this year. Um, I really do think it will be a really good event that can just highlight, like I said, you know, the talent, the intellect and the character of our students here. I think we can really do something cool with that. One of the most fun aspects of Winter Carnival has always been what has been called the Beards competition. That's been adjusted this year, too. Definitely. You know, I, I of course, people can still submit beards. So we're calling it Hairy Tales now because um, we thought it would be a, a cute little, you know, addition to the, uh, to the uh, cartoon theme. You know, and we just wanted to kind of see, you know, there's different categories. Of course, people can still do the beards and whatnot in, a, in it. But, you know, we're like, why not? You know, we want to kind of see, like, what people have in the realm of creativity for, like, hairstyle, you know, and seeing, like, what kind of kooky things they could do, whether it's coloring, whether it's how they're styling their hair, you know, all that kind of stuff, you know. I think with Winter Carnival, as we look at it every year, you know, we, we really want to see 
the creativity, honestly, of students. It's really a, a festival of creativity when you think about it. So we think, well, how can we kind of expand that for students and how can they show even more skills, you know, and uh, we're very excited to see how this is going to go. You know, um, I think our contestants are great with that. I think it'll be a really fun thing to see, you know, something lighthearted that people can really get behind. Did I recall a note a while back that you were looking for judges for the snow statues because of, uh, you know, the difference in the way the things are being handled. Did you find all, do you have them all set to go? Yes. And I just really want to say, I I don't know if I've said it already, but just a huge thank you to our local community, whether it was the snow shortage that we originally had or that, you know, it always is just really warm hard to see everybody just come out in force to contact us, show their support, you know, we really just appreciate everything they do with us, and we cannot stress that. Like, we, it cannot be stressed enough just how great this community always is with Winter Carnival. Yeah, is this year perhaps another opportunity to expand Winter Carnival back into the community? I can, I've read history of Winter Carnival that uh, 50, 60, 70 years ago, it was a much wider community event and it uh, has kind of more isolated over campus the last several decades. Uh, is it a goal to get the community back into it? You know, I think the one thing that we can look at this year is we can almost call it like the great rethinking of Winter Carnival. And I think we've already kind of talked about this a bit, but, you know, I really do think, and of course, next year is our 100-year anniversary celebration of Winter Carnival. Um, It started all the way back in 1922. So I I really do think there are a lot of opportunities for us to really think, of course, once the current situation um, hopefully concludes, you know, how can we just really, you know, get everybody involved, you know, in a really special way. And so I'm really excited to see what our next e-board and what the next group kind of does for the 100-year celebration. Um, And I think after this year concludes, you know, there's a lot of things we'll be looking at to kind of see, well, how can we make this even, I mean, it's already a very special thing, but what can we, what can we do? You know, what can we rethink? You know, what can we add? You know what I mean? If you don't move forward, you die. Exactly. Yeah. And, and you're right. I think this is the opportunity where you kind of examine and look at everything and you say, Hey, what's been working? What's not been working? What can work better? And what can we add to start our second century, or at least conclude our first century, technically, uh, next year? <laughs> <laughs> and then hopefully make that a springboard into the second century. Gosh, it seems weird to talk about that kind of time, doesn't it? It does, you know, but I think that's just a testament to the event and to how the community and the tech community have all kind of come together for a hundred years. You know, that's no small feat. Um, and definitely, I just, uh, well, before we move on, I just want to do a quick shout out to the city of Houghton, you know, and the surrounding uh, city boards. They've just all always been really great, you know, and we very much valued our partnership with them throughout the years. And of course, we're excited to continue our work with them throughout the years. How many students do you think actually get involved in this at one level or another? Oh, easily, I would say maybe half. Easily half the student body, you know, so that'd be close to around 4,000 students um, in a normal year, I should add, uh, as a caveat to that. Um, this year, you know, we still have we still have a huge amount of students who are participating. It is, as of course, the theme of this of today is it all is looking a little bit different. Um, so whether that's, you know, more online participation and all that, you know, but I, I think especially, you know, with the, the addition of esports and all this stuff, I do actually think we have this opportunity maybe to, you know, reach out to some communities that maybe didn't always participate in Winter Carnival and really kind of gear up their excitement toward this event. So the statue competition basically is the same schedule as before. The all-nighter is Wednesday. We'll know the results, what, sometime Thursday? Yeah, so the judging will happen um, Thursday morning to noon, um, and then hopefully once that all gets tallied, uh, we should have those answers pretty quickly for everybody. And will you again be posting a map online as to whose statue is where? Yeah, so our um, our current all-nighter applications are closing today, in fact. Um, so they're going to be finalizing those on our map that we have, and then those we posted online. So everybody will have a chance to know where everything is. The schedule for Winter Carnival is posted online, mtu.edu slash carnival. Is that what I'm looking at? 
Yep, and then there's one more slash 2021. 2021, okay, because otherwise you'll get to the wrong year and you think we don't have a COVID problem at all. <laughs> exactly, yep. yep. <laughs> Which may be a dream world at this point, but we'll get back to it, I'm sure, before too long. We also have a uh, link to the website, the uh, Wonder Carnival website, posted on our QNRReport.com community calendar. And once the map is posted of the various sites and statues, we'll post a direct link to that as you get to it easily and go out and see the results of all the hard work that's going to be taking place over the next few days. Scott Zveland from the Blue Key Society, thank you for your time and congratulations to all of the people who've been working hard on this. I know it's been a challenge and it certainly looks like you've risen to it. Thank you very much, Tato. Yeah, you know, it's been a lot of rethinking, but I'm really, I really have confidence in what we're doing and I'm really excited to see how this goes. Copper Country Today continues in a moment. Portage Health Foundation is a proud sponsor of Copper Country Today. This legendary weekly radio program has gone on for decades and has helped listeners dive into important issues here in Michigan's Keweenaw Peninsula. Now, more than ever, we need this kind of in-depth local storytelling in our world. That's why we're happy to help take it to the next level by sponsoring the radio show's debut as a podcast. You can find it wherever you listen to podcasts. Simply search Copper Country Today. Learn more about Portage Health Foundation by visiting phfgive.org. Welcome to the second portion of Copper Country Today here on this last day of January. I'm Todd Van Dyke. Our program is brought to you by the Portage Health Foundation. Visit them and learn what they're doing and support them at phfgive.org. The COVID-19 pandemic has been especially challenging, I think, for families who all of a sudden have had to live in a whole different dynamic. Mom and dad are home all the time. The kids are home all the time. They're not going out doing their usual functions. And a lot of the support that a lot of our families have been getting from outside sources, kids at school, things of that nature, a lot of that has been challenged. It's either had to change or it's disappeared completely. One of the organizations that provides that kind of support for our kids, especially here in the Copper Country, is Houghton Keweenaw Communities That Care. And Hannah Bukovich is the local director for that, and she joins me this morning. Hannah, good morning, and welcome to the show. Good morning, and thank you for having me, Todd. Let's talk first, Hannah, about what Communities That Care is. We have one here for Houghton and Keweenaw Counties. There's another one in Barriga County. They're all over the UP, are they not? Yes, we are uh, covered under the UP Coalition Network. It's more of an uh, umbrella that covers us all, and we all kind of work together. What is the goal, and what? Uh, how do you manage to, to try to accomplish it? Well, in general, CTC is more of a planning or implementation process for building positive futures for the youth in our community. Um, basically, we try to prevent negative behaviors before they become a problem. We tend to think of ourselves here in the Copper Country as being kind of immune from problems that affect a lot of kids. We don't have inner-city drug gangs, drive-by shootings, things of that nature. Does that mean our kids are relatively healthy and safe all the time? Uh, I would like to hope so. <laughs> but um, <laughs> we have work groups, and one of our work groups is data resource, and we conduct surveys every two years for 6th, 8th, 10th, and 12th grade and through those surveys, um, we found out that our two biggest risk factors for our youth in our communities are depressive symptoms and low perceived risk of harm from drug use, which means our youth in our communities actually don't find it very harmful to them. If they use it, they'll be able to quit or a little is not going to hurt them. And we all know that to a developing brain, let alone even just an adult, that that's not the case. Well, no, and it's a dangerous th way of thinking on two counts because, first of all, some of those drugs are a lot harder to quit for a lot of people than kids might think that they are. And secondly, as you mentioned, the developing brain can be misdeveloped or not developed if those drugs are used on a consistent basis. So what do we do to try to bring this message through to kids? Because you know as well as I do, kids think they're invincible. <laughs> that seems to be a consensus for most of them. <laughs> um, what we try to do at CTC, again, is we 
try to prevent these problems before they actually become problems. So we find um, more scientifically based data and evidence-based data and programs that would be implemented in schools or out of schools and other types of programs that we could use to talk to kids. Um, in any community that has CTC, they've seen a reduction in tobacco use or even starting using tobacco by 33%. Um, alcohol is a reduction by 32%. And like any crime or delinquent behavior, they've seen a reduction by 25%. So even with just our list of different programs that we can pick from and choose to implement with fidelity, which means that we follow the directions the way it's supposed to be taught, uh, as long as it's taught correctly, we will see these decreases. So what kind of programs then uh, do you introduce into the schools? I'm familiar with one uh, that's called your TOPS program. Yes, actually I am assisting and facilitating too. This is my first time doing that. Uh, so far it's been a bit of an eye-opener. <laughs> <laughs> Tell um, me about it. Our TOPS program, uh, Teen Outreach Program, they also have their own website. It would be dialhealthtop.org. Um, what we do is there are multiple different chapters that we have in a way that we would talk to kids about um, even like things like confrontation and how to do that in a productive way or problem solving or um, like how to say no, being assertive. Uh, we'll talk about um, like substance use and how to say no for things like that. So it, it's more of a widespread variety of different things that our youth will eventually encounter, and we want to give them the right tools on how to address it. You have a chapter in pretty much every high school, some middle schools too? Uh, yes. Right now, um, me specifically, I'm working with our top coordinator in the Houghton schools. Um, they're doing in-person for middle school and high school. Uh, Calumet's got some. I know Ewan's got some. Barriga's got some. Lance has got some. Uh, we're pretty spread out. We do the um, four-county area for the top programs. Now, how do you attract kids into this program? Because, and I will admit that it's been a few <coughs> decades since I was in <laughs> high school, but some of these problems existed even when I was young. And if somebody had come to me and said, hey, let's have a good time teaching you how not to do drugs and start smoking and things of that nature, I would have kind of yawned and said, well, maybe another time. Well, it's not just about trying to keep them off of that as well. It's more of a social construct. We want to teach them... Um, ways of socializing and getting to know each other and kind of breaking out of your shell. So we want to get them into an after-school program where they feel comfortable and they make more contacts and feel secure in their friendships. And then once we get them in and get them comfortable, then we start talking about things that they might be interested in. At the beginning, we tend to ask them um, if there's certain things they want to learn about, um, if there's certain things they're curious about, if there's stuff that they don't really want to touch on kind of thing and like why that would be. And then we try to do, well, a few activities throughout the year, like um, this past year, uh, COVID's had a little bit of an impact. So we did our social distancing and masked up and went and cleaned up Calumet Lake. And we've done certain things in the past of like escape rooms and laser tags. So not only are we having them have those serious conversations, but letting them know that they're also just in general accepted as well, and they get to do activities with these other kids that accept them. Hannah, do you find that these programs attract kids from across the board, or is this one of those situations where the kids who probably are going to be good in the first place are attracted to it, and the kids who are, I hate to use the term delinquents, but it probably as close as I can get to here, the kids who aren't who don't the kids who don't want to hear your message are going to stay away uh, can can you find can you reach out to that group i'd like to think that's kind of the group we try to get to um we definitely put out an array of ways um we use like our social medias even um we've done interviews put some ads out there um we have like the schools promoted as well and talk and have word of mouth is also huge. So once you get a certain few kids that are in there talking about it, it kind of, we all know how 
talk spreads in high school and middle school. Sure. So just word of mouth, even from the kids. But once they hear even about like some of the fun activities, some kids might come in like, oh, I, I heard they do like laser tag. That would be awesome. And then they come in and they realize like laser tag's not going to be for a little bit. So, you know, they come because they got to get the paper signed and be involved. And then they're like, oh, this isn't as bad as I thought it was going to be. Talking with Hannah Buckovich from Houghton Keweenaw Communities that care about the outreach that they have towards uh, particularly young people in our area, trying to make sure that they get off to a good start and don't get uh, don't get taken off on the wrong path as they go through middle school and high school. You mentioned too that one of the big focuses that you have is on. Uh, Teens and and self-harmful behaviors, suicide in particular. It was a few years ago that we had kind of a rash of that in Barriga County. Um, How do you address that? That's a very sensitive subject. Um, Suicide and any stigma attached to it is definitely hard for anyone who has experienced it in any way. They will know how hard that is. Um, Part of the problem that we've noticed with our suicide prevention work group that we have is the fact that the stigma is there and that people think it's hard to talk about. And it's a big problem and one of those huge things people want to prevent, but at the same time, no one wants to talk about it. So the idea for us is to attempt to break down the stigma as much as we possibly can and make people realize, like, it's okay to have that conversation. If these are certain types of thoughts, there is help that's around. You're not going to get judged that bad. Chances are high school teens at least have thought about something similar, if not the act itself. Um, I can remember at least a handful in my own personal life that I've had a conversation with just in the attempt to make sure that they understood they were still important. Like, it's a fleeting thought in the huge lifespan. It's a blink of an eye. I recall when I was in school, um, and I I have mentioned on this program before that I deal with depression and bipolar disorder. Um, Technically, I'm bipolar too, which is the depressive side. That started to appear for me in high school. And I remember people saying to me, why are you so down? These are the best years of your life. And I look back at that and I'm saying, they were not the best years of my life. Uh, do kids understand and can we help them understand that it's very challenging to be in high school and life will get better? I think the biggest thing that we can do is address it and make people feel open about talking about it, especially those in high school. You know, you've got all these different pressures from all these different sides. You've got <laughs> hormones going. God forbid we talk about that. And um, it it does stress out your brain a lot. And I don't think like high schoolers even get the amount of sleep they should be getting between like school and homework and stressing over certain things. Anyway, it's like your brain's developing at such a fast pace at that point that sleep's a a needed thing. And when you don't, it, it does make you feel more tired and the more tired you feel, the more depressed you feel. And these are normal ways to feel, but no kid feels like it's normal, and so they don't want to talk about it. No, and you and the and kids look at other kids who aren't talking about it and say, "Well, they're not talking about it, so I must be the only one." Yep, the stigma is really big behind it, and that is what we are really hoping to break down. Like that, that wall shouldn't exist. We should be caring for other humans, just like we're caring for ourselves. And we have learned so much about this over the past few years in terms of the brain chemistry that is involved and the physical causes for this. This used to be viewed as something that was a moral failing, um, a personal failing. You know, why, why do you feel so blue? Why do you feel so glum? Why are you not participating? What's wrong with you? Yeah, just be happy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Put one foot in front of the other, by golly, and away you'll go, and everything will be fine. There are physical things going on, at least for some of these kids, that at some point need to be addressed, and it's rather like <laughs> rather like ignoring somebody who's walking around with a broken arm. You've got to get fixed. Yep. There's doctors for physical health when you break things. There's doctors for mental health for when that breaks, too. It's totally normal and totally okay. So are there specific programs 
um, how do you interface with the schools to try to either identify kids who are going through this or help others identify kids that are going going through this? Well, as we mentioned earlier, we talked about our top program. Um, we have a few different things that kind of talk about depression or feelings like that, emotions in class, and kind of towards the end of it, we'll, you know, talk about them, like, who do you think you could go to if this is something you struggled with? Um, so we help them identify people that they would be able to talk to or talk to them, like, about certain things, or do you, you know, you feel comfortable talking to your parents, even if it's just one of your parents. You know, we, we try to help to identify certain people. As long as you're talking about it, it breaks away the stigma on it. And then I know that Dial Help, um, they're one of our funders, and um, they have programs for this as well. Um, I know there's YOS in the school, Youth One Stop. Um, these are free for kids to go to talk to anybody um, if they're having such thoughts or if they're starting to feel more on that side of their feelings, I guess is the best way I can think to put it. From the other side, how do we educate parents, grandparents, uh, teachers, other adults who are in these young people's lives? How do we educate them to see these signs and to signal that they are open to these conversations? Well, the great thing about COVID is I have found out that there is so many webinars. If you just want to Google that information, there's got to be one somewhere. But um, I know that if you needed some educating on it, there's got to be people at Dial Help that would be able to talk to you about it. I know that there is um, QPR classes that some of the counties around here offer. Um, you mentioned that you get funding from Dial Help. Um, where else does your funding come from? Who supports you? Uh, Northcare is one of our big funders. Uh, Dial Help and Portage Health Foundation are all where our, our top amount of our money comes from. But a lot of it also comes from the community and donations as well. well explain what Norcare is, because I think that's something that maybe a lot of folks are not familiar with. Oh, I don't even think I have the best explanation for Norcare. Um, it's basically a, it's kind of a, a psychological uh, support yeah, group, support organization. Yeah, it's, a, it's a state uh, government-funded program as well, and they do a, a lot um, between like where all of their funding goes. It goes to things in multiple different directions of prevention, um, as well as uh, physical and mental health. One of those. Uh, they're one, kind one, of an all-over-the-map type ordeal. Yeah, and in the background which is why a lot yeah. of people have never heard of them. They're, they don't do a lot of uh, necessarily things on their own, but you'll see them as a sponsor for a lot of your events and a lot of other events that are involved towards the, the psychological health of people in the Upper Peninsula. Uh, you uh, also, I know, rely very heavily on volunteers. You've mentioned focus groups. You have several of those. Explain the different groups that you have working uh, yeah, we have quite a few of work groups. Um, we have a data resource, which I mentioned earlier. Um, they're in charge of conducting our surveys that we use, that I had also mentioned earlier, that we do every two years with the 6th, 8th, 10th, and 12th graders. So we can collect our data from our general vicinity and our community. Um, like I said, they determined that this past um, survey year had been um, depressive symptoms and low perceived risk of harm from drug use. Um, and then once we get that and our surveys back, we find evidence-based programs. Um, we put it into a plan of action, which we call our community action plan. And it's basically a list of things that we have for like the programs, how we can implement them, where we should implement them. It'll give us kind of like a walk by and how to get through and um, we're about to enter phase five specifically of the CTC cycle. So that actually requires volunteers and work group members as well, oh. because we want to educate the community on what we are trying to help them with. 
I with see. their evidence-based programs. I see you have uh, work groups working on uh, attracting funding. You said that uh, you get support throughout the community. Are there ways that people can uh, can contribute to this effort? Oh, absolutely. We do have a funding work group. We work um, with Dial Help for that, too. Uh, so if anybody wanted to specifically donate for CTC or Dial Help, um, they would be able to make a donation. That would be on their website page as well. Um, we have a website page, HoughtonKewanaCTC.com. Um, there's donation buttons on there. Um, there's donation buttons on the DialHelp.org um, website page as well. You've got some uh, work groups, I see, uh, youth involvement, um, things of that nature. That, I assume, is what kind of works on that outreach that you mentioned earlier, the kids going out to clean up uh, Lake Calumet, that kind of thing? Yeah, well, that one specifically we did through our top program, but youth involvement is very similar. Um, you know, just a group of people trying to find things in the community to involve our youth in that wouldn't give them, I guess, the type of downtime that would give them a chance to get in trouble, for <laughs> lack of a better phrase. But there's not a lot in our area, so we try to find things that would be good for them. Um, community service abilities, fundraising potential like hand drives or there's coffee sales before as well. Things of that nature that help them get involved and feel like an important piece of the community because they are. They're our generation that's going to raise it from the ground up. Yeah, the better we teach them now, the better they'll be as adults, and uh, hopefully then the better they'll teach the next group that comes along. And as we all know, idle hands are the devil's playground, especially when you're young. So how has this COVID-19 adventure affected your outreach? Because uh, school is limited. There have been times when after-school activities have not been permitted at all. Um, how How has this affected you? Well, we haven't been doing many in-person events just for respect out of the spreading and trying to minimize other people's exposure to COVID-19. But we have definitely figured out how to work the virtual meeting. Uh, Zoom is a real thing. (laughs) Yes, it is. Once, Once you figure out how to use it, though, it's actually really interesting. So we've managed to be able to keep our work groups going, specifically through Zoom, we do monthly meetings the third week of every month. And, you know, the cool part is, you know, you can do it from absolutely anywhere. So, I mean, at home in your pajamas to, like, you actually have to, like, run and grab coffee, you can still pop on. Yeah, I will confess I've been covering, a, you know, a lot of our local board meetings, uh, city councils, that kind of thing. It's really cool to be able to do that from home and not have to go out and uh, I can watch and I can record the meetings and such. And uh, it takes a little bit of getting used to, but once you're into it, it's not all that bad. And as long as you can get used to people saying, uh, Are you, can you hear me? Can everybody <laughs> hear me? Now? <laughs> exactly. So, so... Uh, what about the the outreach with the kids, though, the top groups, things of that nature? Have they been able to kind of get through the rough spots with COVID? Uh, most of our top lessons have actually gone on without being scathed. Uh, a lot of them are virtual and over the computer. Um, I know Houghton is in person, and I want to say Ewan is in person. <laughs> I think they waited specifically until they could get someone in person to do theirs. But most of the other ones are virtual. and They're making it work, too. They, um, Calumet Middle School and High School did a clothing drive for the Angel Mission for winter clothes, and that had a great turnout, and we are very proud of them for that. Wonderful cause, too. That's a great organization. Are there schools that still need the TOPS programs? Um, I'm sure... <laughs> <laughs> I know that um, Houghton County specifically has definitely gotten quite a few of their schools. Um, and uh, I know we are Houghton Keweenaw CTC, but it's we've got some some work to do getting up in the Keweenaw area for things such as like top and getting more people from there to be involved in the youth group. Are there, involvement and stuff. is there an opportunity for volunteers perhaps in some schools where this program has not really taken off yet? Is there an opportunity for volunteers to step in and help make it work? 
Uh, absolutely. Um, we need two adults in each classroom. And usually, as of right now, we're doing two people who are trained in facilitators. But when we do like certain groups or if we're doing like certain surveys and things, um, one facilitator and even just like a community volunteer who is willing to sit and um, fill out a piece of paper as they stay there, that would be great. We're always looking for volunteers, not just for that, but even for like work groups and future events and things of that nature. Like CTC is always wanting more people. Is this community facilitator role, is that something you need to be trained for? I think that you would be given like a rundown. Is this just me speaking, not knowing exactly the details of it? I'm pretty sure you would be giving a rundown and kind of told what you would need to put on the paper, specifically what you would be told to look for in these things. Okay, so it's not but something you have, you have to really to have go through a, education. Yeah, a, a long formal training period or anything like that uh, no. to, to take on one of those leadership roles with uh, Houghton Keweenaw Communities That Care. I'm talking with Hannah Bukovic. Uh, and again, there is a Barriga County Communities That Care organization as well. There's uh, similar organizations in pretty much every county across the Upper Peninsula, all working to help make sure that our kids can kind of navigate those difficult years in a positive fashion. Hannah, thank you so much for your time and the information this morning. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. And I should also mention that those TOPS clubs in our schools, they are free for the kids. Absolutely no cost involved in those. So moms and dads, get your kids involved. When our community is in need, the Portage Health Foundation is here to answer the call. In 2018, we were here on the front lines helping homeowners get their lives back. And now with the COVID-19 pandemic, we're right here with the many nonprofits who help serve our community. We've provided funding to Senior Meals, Keweenaw Family Resource Center, and 31 Backpacks. We launched a Wi-Fi hotspot network to help families stay connected, and we have much more planned. If you want to donate to help our community's recovery, visit phfgive.org slash COVID-19 or call 523-5920. I hope you enjoyed this morning's Copper Country Today. Thanks again to our guests, Scott Zveland from the Blue Key Society at Michigan Tech. You can find out what's happening with Winter Carnival by following the link on our QNRReport.com community calendar. We'll also have updates on the air. Please enjoy. And Hannah Bukovich from Houghton Keweenaw Communities That Care. Thanks so much. Copper Country Today is heard each Sunday morning at 7 on 97.7 The Wolf, 8 on 99.3 The Lift, and 9 on KBEAR 102. You can also listen to our podcast at QNRReport.com, iTunes, Spotify, iHeartRadio, and a number of other popular streaming platforms. Copper Country Today is brought to you by the Portage Health Foundation. Learn more about them at phfgive.org. This is a copyrighted public affairs production of Houghton Community Broadcasting. Music.